Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Crunch Time Podcast. A tough Sunday for the Texans. If you weren't watching or just did not pay attention, the Texans lost 41-7 to the Ravens in Baltimore, and Rodrigo wants to tell us about it. So, Rodrigo, what, what do you want to say? Well, I just think that the entire Texans organization from top to bottom failed yesterday. It was absolutely horrendous. They got pounded on both sides of the ball. Deshaun Watson had probably the worst game of his career. He was holding on for the, to the ball for way too long, missing way too many throws. The defense did not play well whatsoever. There were no bright spots from yesterday. That being said, that will occasionally happen when you play a team like the Ravens, who before this game I said was the best team in the league, and I still stand by that because you just saw they were absolutely dominant yesterday. They dominated the game from the very start to the very end. Lamar Jackson is playing out of his mind. Mark Ingram had a phenomenal game, two great touchdown catches, and the the weaknesses on that team are far, like, don't even matter compared to the strong suits because they have so many strong suits. That defense with the addition of Marcus Peters is incredible. But one thing I want to bring up, this is by no means an excuse for the Texans' loss, but that pass interference call on the fourth and two on one of, I think it was the second Texans drive of the game. The game is still 0-0. Yes, they by no means lost because of that play, but it's certainly a momentum killer, and I don't understand why the rule is in if when there is a blatant and obvious pass interference, you are not going to overturn it. The NFL is so set on not overturning their non-pass interference calls that if the Saints-Rams play happened today and they reviewed it, they would not call pass interference. That is to the point we've gone. I mean, that is that was such a clear pass interference. It was a pass interference even before uh, Marlon Humphreys grabbed DeAndre Hopkins. I don't understand how they don't overview it. So obviously, terrible loss for the Texans, but I think the NFL has to either get rid of the rule because it's costing coaches challenges or they just have to begin to implement the rule how it is supposed to be implemented. I completely agree. Now, obviously, we can get to the Texans, and the Texans did not play well, but that play was, I think, the play of the game in terms of shifting the momentum to the Ravens' side. If that play gets called pass interference, I think that te- that game is a whole different ballgame because now the Texans are up. I think before that, if you were looking at the first two drives, they were able to move the ball with quick slant passes to Hopkins, they had a lot of those for big gains, and I think the Texans' offense was moving up until that point. But it seemed like after that point in the game, the Texans' offense just fell flat, and you couldn't run the ball, and you couldn't pass the ball whatsoever. The offensive line was just absolute and was, did not play well whatsoever. But I completely agree. That rule is terrible. It seems like there's been a lot of pressure over the past two years, and it came to a head with that Saints-Rams call where the NFL finally had to do something about not being able to challenge it. But at the same time, the NFL is like, we're going to give you the ability to challenge it, but we don't like the fact that you're criticizing the refs and how poorly the game is now officiated. So we're just not going to call it. And it's just a terrible rule. Something has to happen about that. What I think is I'd like to pin the fault on both the offensive line and on Deshaun Watson. In the first half alone, five sacks were allowed, partially due to the lack of presence almost in the offensive line. They just did not play well yesterday. 
but also due to the amount of time Deshaun spends just with the ball. Like, if he got rid of the ball faster, they would have at least two less sacks in the first half alone. So, I, I would say that Deshaun was, like, he. I completely agree that he wasn't getting rid of the ball a lot, but in the first couple drives, I felt like the Texans' offense, when in rhythm, he gets rid of the ball. And when he's not in rhythm, that's where the Texans start to struggle and where Deshaun starts to struggle. When you get a couple sacks that are the fault of the offensive line, it then compounds because you get backed up and then you feel like you have to go out and get bigger yard chunks of yardage. So then he's trying. You have to have plays that take longer to develop. So it kind of compounds on itself. I think yeah. what the Texans really need is to get the run game going with the offensive line to get a bigger push to then open up the pass game. Because, I mean, you saw the game. There wasn't a ton of rushing yards by the Texans. Carlos Hyde, who's usually dropping like 100, only had about 44 yards. And one of them was just on one big carry that had about 30. So, really, we got to get the run game going to open up the pass lanes. So, I completely agree with basically everything everyone said. Um, Except for what you said about Deshaun Watson holding the ball too long. He did that on one or two sacks. But even three sacks in the first half is inexcusable. What the Ravens did is they brought more men than the Texans' O-line could block. When you have five men, maybe six guys, including your running back, blocking, and they're bringing seven and dropping four into man coverage, then and there are four very good cornerbacks, then that's when it's tough to do something as Deshaun Watson. So when they did pick up the play and they actually got something going to, Deshaun, to DeAndre Hopkins – the back of the end zone, and that wasn't called. That kind of killed what the Texans were trying to do. It showed to the Ravens that, yes, this type of defense will work. Well, the thing I would say to that is a quarterback as elite as Deshaun Watson has to be able to recognize that the blitz is coming and get the ball out of his hands quickly. He cannot hold on to the ball so long. And even when he wasn't getting sacked, you can see as soon as the Texans started trailing, Deshaun wanted to be Superman on every play. And I bring up that fumble on the first drive of the game. I don't know what he was thinking. Don't try to scramble around like you're the second coming of Randall Cunningham. Just go out of the pocket and throw the ball out of bounds. He cannot try to be Superman on every play. Sure, the offensive line did not play well, but a lot of it was because Deshaun needs to be able to recognize once he gets the ball in his hands, sees the blitz coming, I'm going to throw it to the receiver that may not be the most wide open, but I'm going to give my guy a chance and not compound the mistake that the offensive line made by allowing a sack. And this is something that I think Deshaun's been better at this year but clearly was exposed in this game. Because if you're looking, like, if you watch Eagles versus Patriots, the Patriots' offense I don't think was that good. They couldn't really block the Eagles. But what they did was not put themselves in long yardage situations on second and third down because when Brady recognized a blitz was coming or his offensive line was just straight up beat, he was just throwing it away to live for another down. And that's how the Patriots were able to squeak out a win. Whereas here... I think sometimes with the Texans' offense, Deshaun is so good at escaping pressure that sometimes it feels like you should let him have a shot on every play rather than just throw the ball away because he can make something magical happen. But I think over the long term, it's going to be better for his health. It's going to be better for the offense if you just go to that second and 10 rather than try and make a hero play and probably get sacked. And, J.W., I want to address something you said earlier about the run game. They're actually doing pretty decent 
in the first quarter, a um, couple of good amount of four-yard runs on first downs. And what happened was the Ravens started feeling more comfortable bringing pressure because Deshaun Watson started trying to do too much, and that also ate up the run game. I think that the Texans failed to make something happen in the early portion of the game, and the Ravens kind of fed on it, and it propelled them to a very big statement win. Now, something else to what you said earlier on the pass interference. Um, I The wording around that rule is blatant, obvious, and interference. We've seen multiple times this year where there have been where there has been blatant and obvious interference to a receiver when he is trying to catch a pass. It has gone to New York, and it has not been called. In a tweet, DeAndre Hopkins said, we need to change the guy in New York deciding these. They either need to do that or take away the rule because it is really just ruining how pass interference is called. And basically, we're just going to get nowhere. It's going to put a, like a polarity between the refs and the players. No one wants that. We need to get rid of the rule or change who's calling it. So for our next segment of Take It or Leave It, the first question is going to be around Tua. I'm not even going to try to say his last name, but Tua was hurt this weekend in the second quarter. And this has been, well, like an injury after many other injuries. This is not his first injury and has really jeopardized his status as a first round pick in the upcoming 2020 NFL draft. So take it or leave it. Tua will be a first round pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, I'm going to take it because I think he's too talented. And he's shown this year he's too good to not take. There's going to be a team that needs a QB, and there's always te- there's always a need for a great QB. That's the heart and soul of any NFL franchise. So I think you're going to see that amount of talent is going to get taken pretty quickly, even though just because of the injury. Although he might not have the rest of the season to showcase his skills, I'm going to take it. I think two is just too much of a, or such a good quarterback that it would be really stupid not to pull him in. I mean. Every team, like Murrah said, could use a good quarterback, if not for a starter, for a backup, just in case something happens, like with the Colts earlier this season. And for those reasons, I'm going to take it. Well, I think that I am not taking this. Tua, if I was an NFL team, I wouldn't pick him. He has ankle surgery, then he breaks his hip. Last season, he had surgery on something. Like, just, I mean, I don't want to hurt quarterback. The best ability is availability. I don't care if my my starting quarterback is on the bench. I don't want Sam Bradford. Now, while I do agree with you that if I were making the decisions, I would not take him in the first round, I'm going to have to take it. I know there's way too many quarterback needy teams in the NFL currently, and, you know, there's always that one team that gets desperate. They trade up in the draft for a quarterback because they think the guy's going to get taken. And I think although Alabama quarterbacks have not done too well in the NFL, there's going to be some quarterback needy team that's going to jump the gun onto him. So I'm going to agree with you, Jonah, and I'm going to take it, but also for a different reason. I think if you look at Tua as an NFL executive, the the pure throwing power and the throwing accuracy and the prowess he possesses in the pocket is too much to not take him as a quarterback. Even though he is injury prone, he's had injuries last year, injuries this year, as you mentioned, JW. Tua is too good of a thrower not to be taken in the first round. I'm not sure how promising his career will be. We'll have to see how that turns out in five or so years. But as of right now, I am taking it. I'm going to leave it. I wasn't as high as most people on Tua in the first place. 
I don't really think he has the size or the arm strength to be a superstar quarterback. But all these injuries, this is really a concern. I completely agree with you, JW. You don't want a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, who you take with a first-round pick to be hurt. And I just look at this draft. This draft has a lot of very good quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason. There are a ton of quarterbacks. And if you really look at it, there might not be that many quarterback-needy teams. So I think Tua... He might sneak into the late first round, but I just don't think due to his injury history, he will be a first round pick. And now for our second take it or leave it, we are going to talk about the college football playoff and whether Georgia will make the college football playoff. They are currently ranked number four, but do have a matchup against probably LSU in the SEC championship game. So take it or leave it. Georgia will make the college football playoff. I'm going to leave it because I think there's there's really only one spot left. There's LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. Those three are pretty much locked in as long as they win out. But this fourth spot, I think there's a lot of teams that could sneak ahead of Georgia here. The one, one loss Georgia, I think there's a lot of one loss teams. And I think Oregon, if they were able to win the Pac-12, might have a really nice resume for that fourth spot. Or even Oklahoma, who had that kind of shocking loss a couple of weeks back, they just came out with a huge win on the road against an undefeated Baylor. I think that win looks really, really nice in front of the committee. And if they win uh, the Big 12, they have, I think, a better resume than Georgia. It all comes down to whether Georgia can beat LSU. Because I think if LSU beats Georgia, there's no way you can put them in over one of these other one-loss teams. Even though LSU is the number one team in the country, and maybe that loss, if they were playing a different team, wouldn't be there. It just... I think you have the, to give the teams that haven't played LSU or another one of those top teams an opportunity when you've seen that a Georgia has already lost. Okay, I'm going to take it. I think Georgia's going to make the playoffs just because of the offensive domination we've seen. Like Rodrigo was saying earlier, Jake Fromm is a super stud quarterback. He has two good running backs with Zamir White and DeAndre Swift. But the main reason is Rodrigo Blankenship, the place kicker for Georgia. He is the super stud that will guarantee their way into the playoffs. No way. They're not going to beat LSU, and the committee is not going to put a two-loss team into the playoffs. Alabama, they don't really play anyone else this year. They could make it into the playoffs. Oregon, I like a one-loss. Oregon over a two-loss. Georgia, Utah, I like them over Georgia. Oklahoma, I like them over Georgia if they only have one loss and Georgia has two. Penn State, maybe Minnesota. Minnesota All of those teams out. with one loss. Minnesota still has a shot. Get in over Georgia. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm right with there with you, uh, JW. While being from the SEC certainly helps, um, in the in the sense where they have to play a championship game against whoever it would be. You know, I mean, I know like LSU. That's kind of kind of a big name, and so I don't think two losses. It's going to help them that much, and we're going to see either like a Utah. Minnesota surprised some people and sneak in there. So I am also going to leave it, but you have to look at the – you have to look at all the teams um, up north in the Big Ten who are not named Ohio State because they all at least have one loss, and they're going to be playing Ohio State in the championship game because as much as I am a Michigan fan, Ohio State's probably going to win the, the game. And so you say Ohio State playing in that championship game, they're probably going to beat Minnesota or Penn State or whoever gets to play them. And 
then you say, okay, so Ohio State's in. Clemson's winning their game easily. They're in. LSU's playing Georgia. If they win that game, they're in, which gives Georgia two losses. So then you have to look at the other winners, which are Oregon and Oklahoma, who will probably win the Pac-12 and Big 12, respectively. You have to say, who's better? I really like Oregon and Justin Herbert there, but that is just my call. So for those reasons, I'm leaving it. I'm going to actually take it. I think that Georgia will upset LSU because this LSU defense has allowed over 400 yards for two straight weeks. I think if you look at Georgia, besides that fluke loss midway through the season, they have been really dominant this year. So I think Georgia will upset LSU and they will find a way to make it into the college football playoffs. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Crunch Time Podcast. Signing off for now and saying goodbye, I'm Jack Ringgold.